So if you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 7. Boy, we're getting close. We've been on the Sermon on the Mount for uh, almost a year now, and, and it's, it's coming to an end. Um, there's more Bible, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we'll have other things to cover. But uh, today we're going to read verses uh, 13, chapter 7, Matthew 7, verse 13 through 20. So Jesus is speaking, and he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now last week we looked at verses 13 and 14. In those verses, Jesus very clearly and plainly says that there is a way that leads to life and there is a way that leads to destruction. He gives us two options. Just like in the Old Testament, when the prophet says, I set before you two options, life and death, therefore choose life. The gate to enter the way that leads to life is narrow and Jesus says that few find it. By contrast, the gate that leads to destruction is wide and easy to find. In fact, the wide gate is, uh, that leads to destruction is so easy to find, you don't have to go searching for it. Jesus does not even mention people finding the wide gate versus finding the narrow gate. They just enter the wide gate. They just follow the crowd. You go with the flow of culture, you'll find yourself standing right at the door of the wide gate and the easy path. But being a Christian, even long before being a Christian was a thing, long before the incarnation of Christ, way back in the Old Testament when God chose to set apart a people for himself, he made them a peculiar people. He made them a people that were different. You know, being a, a child of God or part of God's people meant that you had to follow certain diet rules and there were certain rituals for cleansing and, and, and religious rituals. It was different than any other culture or religion on earth. Being a child of God, being part of God's people has always been counter to the culture. Always been countercultural. It has never been about going with the flow, just going along to get along. In fact, it's very much against the flow. If you, if you find yourself going with the flow of culture, of worldly cultures, and you're just right at home in society, you're right at home in, in the, the cultures of the world, then I, I would say you can be sure that you are standing at the wide gate. You can be sure that you are on the easy path that leads to destruction. Because when Jesus speaks about the narrow gate, he is speaking about himself. 
Talked about that last week, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he says, there is, uh, there is salvation in no one else. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way, church. Amen. It's a very narrow option. You don't get much more narrow than one. It's, it's just a line. I mean, it's pretty narrow. When you enter by the narrow gate, Jesus redeems you. You are redeemed in Christ. You're no longer a citizen of this world. You're no longer part of this culture. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. You're not even the same you. The Bible says that you have been made new. You've been recreated in Christ. You've been born again by the Spirit. That's amazing stuff. That's what the Bible says. Do you believe the Bible? So when you come through the narrow gate, when you come to Jesus Christ and you walk on the path that leads to righteousness, you are a new creation. You're something different. You're not the same anymore. And the world hates you for it. It hates everything about you because you remind them that they are so desperately lost. Remember, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. So right after telling us about uh, to enter in through the narrow gate and the way is hard that leads to life and there are few people that find this hard way, Jesus says, beware. Now the word in Greek means beware. That's what it, I mean, you know, sometimes we get some different things from the group, but that's what it means. It means watch out. Be on your guard. It means to be alerted to something. Anytime you see the word beware, automatically your attention focuses. It's just, it just grabs, it's an attention grabber because we know that there's a warning. Something dangerous is either about to happen or could happen or is impending right now, going to happen. There's danger ahead. Beware, there is danger. In other words, this is a warning. Jesus, he's sounding an alarm. Enter by the narrow gate. Stay on the the hard path that leads to righteousness. Few people are going to find it. Beware, there's a warning. He's sounding an alarm. Is watch out. What's he warning us about? Did he warn us about the way? Is he, I mean, he just said the way is hard and, and the, the gate is, uh, is narrow and he said that few people are going to find it. Is, is he warning us about this hard way? I mean, surely he means to tell me something about the trials and the troubles I'm going to face walking this road of righteousness, right? Amen. But interestingly enough, that's not at all what he does. Amen. Not here anyway. Jesus has already told us about the troubles and trials that we're going to face on the way that leads to life way back in chapter 5. Remember way back there when we talked about the Beatitudes. It's the last one. Chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. That's the way that leads to life, for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. There's the, that narrow gate. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, now here in chapter 5, when Jesus is talking about the way, the, the hard way and the narrow gate, and the persecution that we face, he's, he's putting it in a positive spin, wouldn't you say? He's spinning it, in a, but it's not, it's not just spin. I mean, it is blessed to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. It is blessed to be reviled for His name's sake. He frames it in terms of blessing. He's telling us it's blessed to have people revile you on account of me, for my name's sake, for righteousness' sake. So when you find that you have enemies all around you because of your Christian beliefs and your Christian values... Jesus says that's the reason to rejoice Amen. Amen. because you know that you will inherit a greater kingdom, an eternal kingdom. Amen. You know that your reward will be great. When you find that things are tough for you and you're being denied jobs, you're being pushed out of social circles and your, your rights are being restricted just because you know and worship and proclaim Christ, the risen Lord, Jesus says, rejoice. When they threaten to take your children out of your home because you dared to teach them about uh, biblical truths regarding sin and identity and sexuality, Jesus says, rejoice. This is a marker. It's a, a signpost, if you will. If, you've, if you have... Uh, it's, it's meant to give you confidence, like when you're on the road and you see this way to Jackson or whatever, you know you're on the, the right road. This is meant to give you confidence that you're on the right road. This is assurance for you that you're on the road that leads to life. You're on the hard way. It's not the assurance, and it's certainly not the only assurance. It is an assurance because not everyone suffers or faces persecution in the same way. That much is evident. If you are living a life that is in Christ, if the Spirit of God is in you and producing fruit in your life, then you will face some kind of persecution. Not everyone has the same experience with persecution, however. You know, it's just a fact in this country, a fact of history, that Christians have had it pretty easy. You know, for, since our founding, we've had a government that's been mostly friendly to Christian values and Christianity in general. We've had policies that have been mostly friendly to Christian values in general. I mean, and I'm saying that because all of our, I mean, I'm not saying we don't face persecution. We do. But in this country, Christians are not afraid for their lives. I can stand here and preach and proclaim the gospel. I can even put videos of it out on social media for the whole world to see. And I'm not afraid that someone's going to come banging on my door and put a bullet in my head or in my family's heads because I did that. Other people in other parts of the world live in that fear. Our persecution that we face is more like first world problems. You know, they, if I put a message about biblical sexuality out on, on social media, they might cancel my account. Wow. I mean, that's wrong. Don't get me wrong. And it's upsetting, but it's, I'm, not, I'm not facing life or limb over it. So not everyone faces persecution the same way. And I'm not saying that persecution or your level of persecution is any indicator of how right or close or good your walk is with Christ. Because it's not. 
All I'm saying is, so I don't want to overemphasize it, right? We talked about that before. It's, it's wrong. It's just as wrong to overemphasize Scripture as it is to underemphasize Scripture. I don't want to overemphasize uh, the persecution that we face on the way that is hard. But at the same time, I want to point out that Jesus does say we will be persecuted. If you're walking with Christ, you will face persecution. In fact, if you have not faced persecution for righteousness' sake, then I would be concerned that I'm not producing fruit that is consistent with the Christian life. Because in Luke's gospel, when Jesus addresses that very same subject, in Luke's gospel, he, points, he paints it in a very different light. He takes a very negative approach to it. Luke chapter 6, verse 26, he says, Woe to you! When all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So in Matthew, he frames it in terms of blessing. You know, you're blessed for being persecuted. And in Luke, he frames it in terms of woes. He laments your condition if you are not being persecuted, if all men speak well of you. You're no better off, Jesus says, than the false prophets because they all spoke well of the false prophets. Everybody liked the false prophets. Because they told them what was comfortable, what was easy to hear. Remember that wide way, that easy way? There's nothing different about you when you're on the wide way, the easy way. You're going with the flow, and no one is offended by you. They're certainly not offended in Christ because of you, because Christ isn't in you. If you were in you, you'd be on the hard way. Well, I've spent a lot of time on that, probably more time than I should have. But here's, here's the point. Jesus has already told us about the troubles and hardships that we will face when we live a life that is in him. When we enter by the narrow gate and walk the hard way that leads to life. Namely, those things are that, that the world, that's people who are not regenerated, people who are not redeemed, who are not children of God, they will persecute us. And that can come in, in you know, physical persecution. It can be emotional persecution. They will revile you. They will speak evil of you. Jesus has warned us about this already. This is what is, awaits you on the hard way. So why then, after saying, enter by the narrow gate and the way is hard that leads to life and few there be that find it, would Jesus tell us to beware? I mean, he's already told us about trials and troubles that we're going to face, but here he presents us with a very different problem altogether. And it's a huge one. And I dare say he mentions it here because it is more deadly and more dangerous than anything else that came before it. The most dangerous enemies of the gospel and of the church, the most dangerous enemies of your soul are not the unsaved heathens in the world who persecute you and revile you and speak evil of you and restrict your ability to do things in the world. The danger is not in the overt and obvious apostasy that goes on in the world around you. The danger is not the enemy at the gate or the robber outside your house. Those people are easy to recognize. I mean, if you're just a little watchful, you can spot someone at your door who's not supposed to be there. Amen. Just a little watchful. Jesus raises the alarm here and he says, beware 
not because of the armies that are outside, but because of the enemies that are within. These are the ones that look like they're part of the family. They're dressed up to look like friends. Jesus says, they wear sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. He mentions false prophets here as, as those who wear sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Because one of their main messages is that the way should be easy and comfortable. They directly contradict what Jesus teaches about walking in righteousness, about the way being hard. They say all is well when destruction and disaster is about to happen. That's 1 Kings 22. The false teachers and false prophets will cry, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. That's Jeremiah 8, verse 11. And this isn't just about being strictly accurate or not making mistakes when preaching or teaching. Everybody makes mistakes. I make mistakes. That's why I tell you that you have to be people of the Word. That's why I tell you that I have no authority apart from what Scripture says. If I say that the Bible says something that the Bible doesn't say, you listen to the Bible. You don't listen to me. You must be people of the Word so that you can recognize false teaching when you hear it. False teachers get the fundamentals twisted. They're not making... uh, mistakes with the nuances of in scriptures there's a lot of nuance with it they're not misapplying a doctrine honestly there's a fundamental flaw in the first principles we can make mistakes on applications and doctrines we can make mistakes on the nuances of biblical teaching but false teachers twist the fundamentals they corrupt the first principles to feed themselves And you see it in their fruit. They create a God out of their own imagination. And then they say that he is the God of the Bible. They misrepresent God. They misrepresent, they even deny the basic fundamental underpinnings of the gospel. It's a a Jesus plus gospel. And if you think about it, you've heard it all over the place. Jesus plus social justice. Jesus plus your political party. Jesus plus this nation. Jesus plus the LGBTQ affirmation. Jesus plus fill in the blank. Church, the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Anything that adds to or takes away from salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone, is no gospel. It's false and it's accursed. When the people who preach these kinds of things and they, they, they teach these kinds of false doctrines, when you, you try to correct them or you, you call them out on it or you, you lovingly try to approach them and, and take them into the Scripture and show them the right way, what do they do? They dig in even deeper and they attack you like ravenous wolves. They question whether or not you're saved, whether you know the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus said they had come in sheep's clothing. That means they look like church leaders. 
And I'm saying that standing in the pulpit, okay? They look like me. They look like friends. Just like you and me. They claim to be sheep. They claim to be part of God's flock. And you know what? The tragedy is that they know the Bible. They know it. They're false teachers. They twist every meaning, though. They can recite chapter and verse to you. Do you not think the devil and his, his, his demons know the Scripture? They knew who Jesus was before the apostles did. Amen. They knew he was the Son of God before the apostles did. Amen. They know the Bible. Paul warns us about this in his second epistle to Timothy. Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, False prophets, also, no, Peter, excuse me, first, second Peter chapter 2. Peter says that false prophets also among, rose among the people, just as, they will, as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And, and look in verse 2 what he says the false prophets lead them away with. He says, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth, that's the hard way that leads to, that leads to life, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. False words exploit the people of God. And they lead them away, appealing to their sensuality. It's a, a feel-good gospel of comfort and ease. If you're sitting and in, in, you're listening to a, a preacher and you have been listening to him for any length of time and he never mentions suffering, you need to find yourself another preacher. Amen. The gospel is not the gospel without suffering. We need a healthy theology of suffering in the church. Otherwise, we can't make it in the last days. Amen. Because what is being sold to them is a bill of goods, a feel-good, comfort, and ease kind of gospel. The way is easy that leads to destruction. People fall for it. They give their money and their lives to it. Just, they just feed the greed of these false teachers. I tell you, church, every single time I hear some preacher get up and, and employ his, his people to, uh, and he uses language like, you know, sow your financial seed into this whatever. And they, they, oh, it just drives me up a wall and makes my skin crawl. Amen. When they use language like that, to sow your financial seed, it's a, a transactional grace that they're preaching. And that's not grace at all. So I give and then God gives back to me. I give in order to purchase something, blessing, some kind of grace, some kind of favor from the Lord. That's not grace at all. What it does is it makes the followers of that kind of teaching, it turns them into something no better than Simon the sorcerer who tried to purchase the gifts of God, the, the Holy Spirit of God from the apostles. And Peter told Simon when he, when he approached them in Acts chapter 8, when he said, oh, this power that you have is great. He said, can I, can I buy this from you? If I pay you in silver, will you lay your hands on me and give me this, this power that you have? 
Peter, in Acts chapter 8, verse 20, he said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought to obtain the gift of God with money. You've, you've neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. And church, this is the destruction that false teachers invite on their pupils. Amen. The apostle Paul instructed church leaders to watch out for false teachers in Acts chapter 20. In verse 28 of Acts 20, he said, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That, that's spiritual leaders and overseers, pastors and elders. We're, we're supposed to be under shepherds watching over the flock. We're, we're supposed to, Paul says, care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And then in verse 29 of Acts chapter 20, he says, uh, he tells us what the threat is that we're supposed to watch out for. What is the danger that Paul tells us to watch for? Verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Amen. And from among you, from among your own selves, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And that is the, the, the continuing and grave danger with false teachers and false prophets. And I'll close with this. Do you see in verse 20 what happens to those, verse 30, what happens to those who listen to false prophets? It says they are drawn away. They're drawn away. Amen. They're enticed. And of their own accord, they, they leave. And they, they say, oh, I want to go on this easy path. Because they're deceived. In 2 Timothy, when Paul charged Timothy to preach the word, he told them in chapter 4, he said, For the time is coming, 2 Timothy 4, 3, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Just before that in verse 2, before he gave Timothy that, that grave warning, in verse 2 he says, Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Reprove by the word, preaching of the word. Rebuke by the word, by preaching the word. Exhort by the word, by preaching the word. The answer to itching ears, he says, for they have itching ears. The time will come when they, they don't want to listen to sound doctrine. So preach the word, Timothy. Amen. The answer to itching ears is faithful preaching of the word of God. This flows directly from what Jesus said way back in Matthew 7 after telling us to beware of false teachers. He tells us how to recognize them. He says, by their fruit. Matthew 7, 16, the very next verse. You will recognize them by their fruit. And then he talks about good fruit and bad fruit. And you'll know a tree by its fruit. A good tree uh, produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. You'll know them by their fruits. We have to be able, as Christians, to be good fruit inspectors. We have to be able to discern good fruit from bad fruit. And here's the thing. False teachers are skilled at deceiving the people about what is good and what is bad fruit. Amen. 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 
They're skilled at it. They twist the Word of God to make it look like something that it isn't. I don't have time to go through all the fruit of the Spirit, but I'm, just, I'm going to take one. I'm going to look at the really big one, and that's love, right? Galatians 5, 22, 23 tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I can't go through all those, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to look at one of them. I'm going to look at love. Just to try to prove a point. Does the world talk about love? Oh, yeah, they do. They do. Do they talk about loving your neighbor? Do they talk about loving other people? I mean, what has been the mantra of, of the, the, the lost people of the last, I don't know, 10 years? Love is love. Love is love. You know what? I'll give you that. Let love be love. I'll give you that. But we've got to come to a, a conclusion on the definition of what love is. Because my definition comes from the eternal, everlasting word of God, but their definition comes from selfish desires. What did Peter say they were drawn away by? Sensualities. It's what pleases the flesh. That's their definition. So we're, we're not arguing about the same thing. We're not talking about the same thing. They say love, and I say love, and it's two different things. I wouldn't know that if I didn't have my face in the book. Amen. Amen. I would not be able to tell the fruit of love from the fruit of the world, the fruit of the Spirit from this counterfeit if I didn't have my face in the book. I want a man of the word. Does the world have any understanding about what love actually is or looks like? What love actually acts like? They don't have a clue. Amen. Amen. They don't have a clue. But they love to talk about love and teach love and try to tell you what love is. And if I weren't if I weren't studied, I could not be an inspector of that fruit. Amen. We have to be people of the word. Let the word of God be honey in your mouth, church, but let it pierce your soul with truth. My challenge to you today is to know the word of God. If you're not feasting on scriptures regularly, if it's not part of your daily bread, how can you expect to know if I'm lying to you or not? Amen. How can you expect to know if anyone is lying to you and trying to lead you down this easy path? Do you remember way back in Genesis, God told Cain, he said, if, you know, sin is waiting for you. It's crouching at the door. It's in hiding and it's looking to trip you up. And if you don't lord over it, it will lord over you. Church, the way you lord over sin in your life is to understand and study and know and love and cherish the eternal word of God. We are to be people of the word, not opinions. It doesn't matter what I think. There are things in this Bible, things in the scriptures that I would rather them not be there. In my flesh, I read it and I think, that's uncomfortable. I'm not necessarily sure how to handle that or what to do with that or how that, but I, it's not my job 
to tell God what His Word is. That's what He said. There are things in there that I, I might be tempted to try to explain them away or to look for ways around them. But you know what? That's what false teachers do. They explain away the clear teaching of the Bible. They look for ways around the clear teaching of the Bible. And I wouldn't know that if I weren't studied. I would not be able to inspect that fruit. Amen. I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want to be led astray. By my own sensualities, thinking that it's truth. Not me. I don't want that for you either. So my challenge to you this morning, and I'll close with this. Be, be watchful. Be vigilant. Fruit inspectors. Because there's great danger out there. And some of you, you'll just... Amen. I don't... Look, it, it's not just preaching. Some of the, the worship music, I would, a lot of the worship music out there is not worship music. It's a very me-centered gospel. There's no gospel at all. And you're singing that. Amen. God would call you to have greater discernment about what you let into your heart. It's so easy to be deceived when you... You're talking to someone who you think is a friend. Jesus says, look at their fruits, though. I'm not a big celebrity preacher guy. I, I mean, half of them I wouldn't give you two cents for. Because you can see by their fruit, they're enriching themselves. You can see it. I'm not, celebrity doesn't mean isn't equal evil. But I just, I'm asking you. Jesus is warning you. Be careful. Test everything. You know what the scripture says? To test everything? Test it by the word of God. Amen. Test it by the word of God. I love you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Um, it, is, it is righteous. Lord, and we thank you that you have taken time not only to reveal yourself in it and show us the way in it, but you have taken time to give us warnings you, have, you care enough about us to say, hey, watch out, there's danger ahead. Father, I pray that you would make us humble enough to be able to hear your clear warnings, Lord. I pray that you would give us discernment, Father, as we study your word, to know false teaching when we hear it, Lord, and to be able to lovingly uh, offer correction for it. Father, you are good to us. Keep us in your perfect will and your perfect way. And bring us back safely at the appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.